Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Called to Lead podcast. You are in for a huge treat today because I have got the Brett Blake, aka B2 or B squared as he uh, lets us call him, but he is the author of Renewal for Field Leaders and Renewal for Actual Companies too. I can't remember the name of that book because I haven't quite read it. And also Systems Scale. And he essentially has a background in helping many, many different network marketing companies for decades, really. And he's got an incredible experience. And the wisdom that he teaches in this, this book has blessed my life and likely has blessed yours if you've been listening to the podcast lately, because I've been sharing my renewal journey out loud and sharing bits and pieces of how I'm applying his chisel acronym of how you can lead your network marketing company to renewal. And so we've got the man himself here to share his story, here to share some wisdom with us. I could not be more grateful. So thank you so much, Brett, for being here. Are you dreaming of making a long-term income and impact beyond your own efforts, but feel like you're struggling to replicate your results? I'm Heather, a former burned out boutique owner turned top network marketing leader. And I've learned the hard way that you don't have to do all the things all on your own. Now, my passion is helping social sellers scale their business by choosing faith over fear and using simple duplicatable systems without having to sell your soul to social media. I'm so excited to share with you simple tips, tricks, and tools to help you take your business to the next level. In each episode, I'll share faith-focused wisdom, proven systems that your team can duplicate, and inspiring stories from other leaders who have been right where you are today. Are you ready to grow your team, find joy and fulfillment, and feel free? Break out your favorite pen and notebook, and let's dive in. I'm so thrilled to be here, Heather. I, I, you know, I'm a fan of yours and so grateful for all that you do for your team and also for the industry with this podcast. So thanks for having me. Thank you for acknowledging that. That's definitely my my goal is really sometimes there's some hard things in this industry. And I think any of us can acknowledge that, but there's a lot of goodness and a lot of light. And so that's that's really, as we were talking about the purpose of this podcast, is just a, just a point to the light. And you are certainly one of those and the impact that you've had not only on my business, but on thousands, maybe even millions of, of people throughout countless companies is, is really, really inspiring. So maybe paint the picture of, of how you got started in network marketing. Give us the, the backstory that's maybe not in your book. <laughs> well, I think like most of us, first of all, I, I feel like a little bit of a counterfeit here because I'm one of those that teach that couldn't do. I, you know, my first experience was my roommate came coming back to my dorm in college and inviting me to, to learn about Amway. And I think I was that close to starting that business. I was so excited about it. I started talking to people about it, but it wasn't for me at that point in my life. It wasn't until after I graduated and was looking for an opportunity. I had a, a chance to meet Frank Bandersuit, who was the CEO of Mel Luca. And Frank was looking for some help, invited me in, and it's been a great journey ever since. I've been in the industry, out of the industry a little bit back and, and back in the industry. But it's to me, this is an amazing place. In fact, I had this interview last week with a friend of mine, and he has had remarkable success. He was an executive at NASDAQ, became the CEO of one of the NASDAQ international divisions. And just beyond that, just some really remarkable career achievements and had just recently joined uh, a larger direct selling company. And I was asking him, how did you get here? What's been your experience? And he talked about how nervous he was to 
to to get past the you know the in the sense that maybe this is a different type of industry and then as he's joined the company and just found how it's impacted individuals and given individuals an opportunity he spoke about being in the country of jordan and he said you know i was in jordan and in jordan it's such a it's such a, a stratosphere kind of situation you have the the royalty and the, the founding family and then you actually have this religious divide and he was a christian he said when you're a Christian, you're below the poverty level. You're like, there's the poor and then there are the Christians and their opportunity for upward mobility is almost zero. But he said, you know, one of the things that I've seen is that in that for those individuals, this opportunity to have a mer true meritocracy in a direct selling um, business has created opportunities for them to be able to pull themselves up and to be able to achieve things that they never thought possible. And for him, it became now he, uh, the first time I think in his career where he's actually tied his business experience to his religious experience and his faith. And it's been a really neat thing. So. Wow. I love that you use the word meritocracy. My husband actually just used that word in kind of coaching our, our freshman daughter. She plays lacrosse. And she had the opportunity to play and as a freshman in the varsity game against their rival the other day. But wow. she came off the field crying, <laughs> devastated that she didn't play more. And we were just shocked and, and frustrated. And, and he used that word. He said, honey, I, I hate to tell it to you, but this is this is a meritocracy. And if you want to play on that field, it doesn't matter if you're a freshman or not. You got to get good. You got to practice. You got to do the work. And, you know, she does have some natural talent there, but you, but you have to, you have to, to do the things. And I think in business and especially in network marketing, and especially as believers in network marketing, I love that because we, any of us, anybody listening, whether they're brand new, whether they, you know, are still at the, the first rank in their company, they can essentially achieve anything that the Lord has planned for them in this business. If they follow his wisdom, follow the strategies that have been proven effective long before social media, long before COVID. And I just think people just get get in their head or they get, you know, I don't know, they just get get in their head, I think. And yeah. so I would, I would love for you to kind of hit that head on because I, I know that we're in a different world now, post-COVID, post-social media, but yet the life cycles of the companies that you've worked with and talk about Melaleuca, like they're experiencing another, I feel like renewal, you know, even right now yeah. around for forever. So talk about a little bit more about that, the life cycles of companies. Yeah, it's interesting. As I pondered and thought about the industry in preparation to write this book, I realized in my career, I'd kind of gone through this early stages of success and success and success. And I thought that that I had figured out something that no one else had figured out and then went to a company where I didn't see success and and realized, okay, well, you know, maybe it's not all bubble gum and flowers and roses and, and, and unicorns. And, and sure enough, as I went back and did research, it was surprising for me to see how many companies, almost every company who has a growth curve and then experiences a downturn. So that was instructive for me to kind of understand that and see that and to be able to put my personal perspective, I mean, my personal experience into perspective. But what's been interesting is, as you know, I took a time off. I took a sabbatical. I kind of left and literally left. I didn't have any connection, didn't really pay attention to anything that was happening in the industry and went and served for three years as a mission leader 
and just had an amazing experience with all these young volunteers who had given up time in their life to come out and serve. And this was just smack dab in the middle of COVID. When I got there, all of our missionaries were in apartments, were there for many, many weeks without being able to leave their apartments. And, and so it was a whole different experience. But when I came back in 2023 and in July, it started, one of the first thing I did in the fall is I just started reaching out to many of the CEOs who I had I'd known and others who I hadn't known. And I just wanted to go and talk. And they were so generous with their time. I went from, from company to company and, and met with several CEOs. And they were interested in knowing what I had done for the last three years. I was interested in knowing from them what had happened in the industry. I compare COVID to being in a small farm town on I-80 in, in the middle of Nebraska and owning an inn that has the average, you know, maybe one or two guests a night in the inn. But COVID was like having a snowstorm that's, that shut down the freeway. And all of a sudden the inn was full every night until the snow melted. And, and then the, the innkeeper decided he was going to hold his manager accountable for those numbers that happened during COVID for the rest of that manager's career. And the manager always felt down and depressed and discouraged as he compared him his experience during that snowstorm to the sunny days when everyone just drives right past uh, his town. And it, it's hard for us to kind of remember that stores shut down and people were looking for a ways to shop and to use their time. And for many individuals, they were afraid of what was happening with their careers and not certain whether their main income would still be there for them. And I think it's easy for us to see this bubble that happened in the industry where there was all of these new sales dollars that came into the industry. And we had many artificially highs, if you will. So we, we experienced that and appreciated that and spent that money. But it's hard for us to go back and say, yeah, but that was really just a unique unicorn kind of experience in the industry and not something we should compare ourselves. I noticed I was so amazed and, and impressed that on your February 16th episode, you actually shared your January numbers. Like nobody does that, Heather. That was awesome. Good for you. But you talked a little bit there about the ranks, those individuals who are paid at their highest rank. And I almost, if I were you, I would go and I would adjust that and say, during those COVID years, you're going to have individuals who peaked rank, had a peak rank. But I'd go back and I'd say, where were they before COVID? And let that be their highest rank. Wow. And any ranks that took place during COVID, it's just kind of an outlier. It was fun. It was exciting. But re-benchmark your team against where you were at the beginning of 2020 or the end of 2019. And that let that be your starting point. I think it's interesting because I looked at some numbers uh, and uh, it's presented to me by two different sources that showed that we are, we've had a downturn in the industry, 10% followed by a 6% or an 8% decline. And, and, and individuals feel like, oh, wow, the channel has had a, this huge decline in sales. And yet the truth is, is that if you compared 2023, the latest numbers 
with 2019, the industry's up 6%. And that's not huge. I mean, because we jumped to four, the industry was 35 billion in the US, jumped to 42 billion and uh, down to an estimated 20, 37 billion in 2023. But but we, we look at the down the last two years, but we probably should just erase that period of time, 20, 2020, 2021, 2022, and look at 2019 versus 2023 and say, okay, where, where are we? And that be, kind of becomes our new benchmark. And we're grateful for that volume. But if we allow that to inform us, we're going to be in trouble. Uh, and what I see is that there's a lot, there's discouragement. I mean, I track over 200 companies. And only 22 companies grew during that period of time. And I remarkable to see that what's happened. But but that means that 90% of the companies have experienced a decline. And what I see is that leaders get discouraged with where they are and they feel like somehow I'm gonna have a better experience in the next company. And they get to the next company and realize, oh my word, I'm in the same decline. I'm just in a different brand than I was before without the support and the friendships and the the, this, the uh, team that I had in my previous company. So I, I go, I went off, I'm sorry, but the 20, 2023, I think is the beginning of, of renewal for the industry and is a good place to kind of start, start and say, where are we really and how do we move forward? I love that advice. And I know we were chatting about those, those January numbers and I'll continue, I'm going to share all year long, regardless of how good, how not great. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be doing it. I'm committing. Good for you. <laughs> so stay tuned for, for more, for more of those numbers for sure. Cause I, I, I feel like it, it can, I know for me, it's helpful to know what to expect in, in the realities of what a leader looks like, whether it is in our company or in another company. And so I'm going to, I'm going to keep it coming, but I think it's interesting because you shouted out that we had, or as we were chatting, we had 458 enrollments in January, which was our second highest uh, ever. Well, the first was right post COVID it was 2021. And so it wow. actually is very encouraging to me and hopefully can be encouraging to the team that if you were to just erase those years that we really are seeing growth. And I know that that isn't necessarily seen on on every single leader's team within Saint, but I also think that a lot of that is that discouragement or the lack of hope or the frustration for the things that feel out of their control. So in your chisel acronym, which I've been, my, my listeners know it probably pretty dang well, but of course we have cash, hope, <laughs> innovations, uh, systems, right? Yep. Yeah, publicity, but also systems. Yep. E is expansion, which is going to be huge for Saint, and L is leadership. So I think that hope piece is is definitely has been the big factor in the decline, first of all, for the people who don't have it, but also I think is being felt pretty strongly right now, at least in our company. And maybe the cool thing about a podcast is it lives on for years and it could be that someone in another company is listening to this going through that shakeout phase or in a down phase of whatever business they're in. So how can you bring back that hope if if yeah. you've lost it yourself or your team has lost it? Well, I think part of it's just understanding context, right? Part of the challenge with indirect selling is for for many people, in fact, a majority of direct sellers, wherever company they're with now is their first. So all they know is what they've they're experiencing this first experience in life. It's like if you go back to your dating relationship, it's your it's your your first boyfriend, or your first girlfriend is feels like the one. And and a very few people end up marrying their love, the first person they dated, right? But 
it's not until you break up with that that person you realize okay there there's probably other fish in the sea that i i could be compatible with but uh, we our full first love affair in direct selling sometimes becomes similar and we it becomes all consuming and when things don't go as we thought that they should we we don't have enough experience to be able to compare and to contrast and so i think what you're doing and educating individuals and helping them understand see that hey whether it's a company or an individual business within a company you have cycles of business that that and it doesn't matter if it's direct sales or any other company i mean some of us who've lived a while can go back and think about there was a book called good to great that was out there and and in that book there were all of these companies that had been successful forever and they had had all of these ups and downs and i bet if you go back and you look at that list of companies you'd be surprised at how many have gone through a downturn since they being defined as kind of the end all be all in terms of companies things change in industries change and just understanding that having context is really important but the other thing i think about it so i i when i came back it was interesting one of the first conversations i had was with somebody who had been in the industry for a very very long time and has always been very hopeful but was in a kind of a funk was actually discouraged and and kind of doubting whether or not the channel was was going to be around for a while and i spent a lot of time thinking about that and asking questions about that and then somebody showed me an article by the, the U.S. Surgeon General that said that we have a, a epidemic of loneliness in the United States, and that that epidemic of loneliness was a greater concern than smoking in terms of its impact on life and reducing individuals' life. And um, as I contemplated that and thought about that post-COVID, and realized you know we were, were quote more connected than ever before with you know iPhones and Androids and social media and everything we have. And yet there's a growing concern of about just feeling loneliness. And you know, I think you and I are believers. We would say that that probably is a separation from the relationship with Christ and not knowing him. And I don't know there's anything that will fill that void like having a prayerful daily meditation and relationship with the savior, but, but direct selling is a great model, even if it's not an economic model, because of the kinds of relationships that you can form and friendships you can form. And when it's built on relationships, then great things happen. I look at what's happened in, in 2023 and, or tw the 2020 as an industry, we all started experiencing and, and experimenting with new ways of selling. There's a lot of influencer and affiliate marketing that crept into the space, and some are continuing to be successful in that. But if you will, we went away from the roots of direct selling, which is relationship-based, and we tried to compete on a mass marketing basis. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of left our home field and wondered why we're not having the same success we were having when we were on our home field. And so I, I go and I've talked to a lot of CEOs and they're like, ah, things are down and we don't know how to change them. And I said, well, you tried to change your entire business. You tried an experiment. Why don't you just admit that your experiment didn't work? Go, go back to blocking and tackling what used to be working and see what that does for you. Uh, I was in a meeting 
on a similar topic. And and one of my friends who I'd mentioned in the book, Milan Jensen, who is um, CEO of Womankind, um, Milan said, uh, you know, I wonder um, when we will understand the truth. And she said it this way, that the truth is that what you know, we're not, that is powerful. You know, we're all trying to recreate the business and do different things. But when we go back to, and I think you've gone through this, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you go back to what worked and realize, okay, maybe I don't have to be a social media superstar. Maybe I can just take care of customers and care about making sure that I provide great products for them. And and maybe I can be honest with with individuals about the good and the bad. And it's a business and it's not always up. So to me, hope is start. There's an education element with hope. And the other part is just like anything else in life, we just can't continue to to allow each other to be negative and just to point the negative. We I don't know why, but media has shown us that people seem to respond to the negatives. I did an interesting when I was a mission leader, I had two of my I had two assistants. So I, we'd always choose two of the young missionaries to be my assistants. And these are two young men and 20 something years old, very little experience. They came to me in the middle of COVID in November and said, President, they call me president. I love that. I wish my wife would call me president. Just kidding. I tried to get my kids too. They never would, but they said, Hey, we were concerned because so many of our, the missionaries are discouraged. And I knew that that wasn't true because I interviewed every single missionary, 230 missionaries. I interviewed them every six weeks. And it took me two weeks straight. I'd start early in the morning. I'd go late at night, just one-on-one -on -one with each one of them. And I knew that that wasn't the case, but I knew we had pockets. So I, I invited him to my home. And on my home, I had a board with pictures of every single missionary. And I invited my wife into the room and we spent two or three hours. And I went through one by one. And I talked about every individual and how they were feeling and what was happening. And I asked them to keep track of those that were discouraged. And they did. And because I told them at the beginning, I don't know, I haven't counted this, but it's going to be somewhere between one and five that will be discouraged, right? And, and by the time we were done, it was almost exactly one in five. And, and I, if you're not careful, you'll hear the one in five because they're the, they, they speak louder usually than the four and five. And you'll begin to use words like everyone's discouraged. Everyone's depressed. Everyone's having a hard time. And I taught these young, the young leaders. I said, that isn't true. And you can't let it be true. And you can't let other leaders think it was true. It was interesting. Similarly, at the same time, I had a young missionary who had heard from one of the missionaries that they were discouraged and thought that the best thing that that, that missionary could do was bring everybody together. So it was on a Saturday and he, and he was responsible for about 12 missionaries and brought all 12 missionaries together and said, I know you're all discouraged. I know you're having a hard time. Will you just go around the room? We're going to let, we want to hear you. We want you to tell us how you're feeling. And in an interview yet after that with several of the missionaries, they, they said, you know, to be honest with you, I really wasn't feeling discouraged. But when I got in that room and started listening to everyone else, I kind of started thinking, yeah, that's bad. That's, I, I'm feeling like that. And they started identifying all the reasons that they were discouraged. 
And we have this tendency to try to outdo each other about how badly we're doing, right? It's like, oh, that's really terrible. But you know what happened to me? And we have a tendency to try to one-up ourselves. And I think we just have to be, be, be careful in a relationship business that we don't allow the one to lead us to conclude that the other five or the other four are also down and discouraged. And that's why as leaders, and you mentioned this before, it's just so important that you go find the stories of the four. We, we talk about those, we amplify those, and we share those often. Um, I don't know if that helps, Heather. But. Oh, it helps. It helps so much because I think anyone who's in a group chat can attest that there's always, I know in the book, you went in the locker room first. That's another really great book that I love. It talks about energy vampires. And like you said, a lot of times they're 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 the noisy ones. Or my, my husband will call them like crabs. It's like crabs in a bucket where one might try to climb out of the the bucket, but yet one of the other crabs gets and you know pulls it back down into the into the bucket. Yeah. And so, you know, I think, I think anyone can relate to that where they're, they're doing great. They're having a great day. Actually, our, I, I'm, I think I can just speak candidly because I do this all the time, but on our birthday in January, when we had that great day of enrollments, we also launched a ton of new products. It was very exciting. It was a, a very successful launch. So successful, in fact, that we sold out of multiple products by the middle of the day. And you would have thought in some of these group chats, <laughs> the world was ending. And, and I kind of, and and again, not not to disparage other people's feelings, and I know it's frustrating to not have the product to sell, but at the same time, I'm like, gosh, you know, that number one means our company made smart inventory investments that they didn't overbuy. Because as a former boutique owner, inventory management is by far the hardest, yeah. especially in a an up and down roller coaster of a market where you don't know what to expect with a with a launch. And, you know, number two, you know, selling out, that shows that there's a high demand for the product. But yet, you know, we could only kind of focus on the the negatives. And it was very clear that the one in five, especially the ones who were already looking for the problems, they were already maybe having a hard time in their business. And and they probably didn't mean to be crabs, but they were latching on to the negative and then trying to kind of pull everybody else into that. And and it was it was challenging, even though it was a really great sales day and a really great day of bringing on a ton of new people who are very excited about starting their their business here. So yeah. I know that resonate with a lot of the listeners for sure. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Go ahead. Oh, go no, ahead. You go ahead. I, I I won't forget what what I definitely want to talk about, but you go you go first. Okay. I was gonna say, you know, when we go and we find new artists in, in your business or new associates in other business, most of the time none of them are actually looking to be a business owner. Right? They accidentally stumble on to this opportunity. And for some, it is the right thing. And for others, they want it to be the right thing. And yet, if you're the sponsor, you don't want to lose a single person who enrolls. And yet the truth is, is that makeup may not be the right thing for some for individuals, right? Fitness may not be the right thing for certain individuals. Uh, and business may not be the right thing at that time for individuals. And rather than kind of allowing individuals to have their experience to come in and try it and recognize that for some, it'll work out and for some, it won't. We're grateful for any contribution that somebody made in the short term. We kind of want to hold on and we measure in terms of how many people left us and right. And how like, and the failure. And, and part of that I think is 
we put individuals into a situation where they feel like they have to defend their decision not to continue forward. And they, they, you know, they get angry or they fight in a way or they say things on the way out that kind of justifies them wanting to leave. And perhaps we can figure out how to be a little bit more accepting in terms of, you know, some will, some won't, so what? We kind of continue to move forward. And, and we hope that those leave will, they're still going to use makeup and hopefully they'll be our customers forever. I mean, it's funny. You and I have had this conversation. There's nothing fundamentally different in saints products and how good they are so there's really nothing that would say oh the 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 tide has changed right and nobody is using pagers anymore i mean if you were in the pager business i could understand being down and discouraged right still using makeup and they're going to continue to use makeup and great makeup is going to continue to to be in high demand and companies that are having individual care about the user is what everybody wants. Like everybody wants the Mayberry shopping experience where you go into the store, they know your name and they care about you and they know what you've purchased in the past. And direct selling is like one of the last places where you can have that individual kind of shopping experience. And people are saying it's going out of business. I mean, no way. As AI drives more in automation and less personalization, I mean, it'll be customized, but not personal, right? An industry where individuals care and there's relationship will always, always have growth. So it, it then kind of, we have to stop and say what you're doing. And that is like, what are we doing that's not sustainable? And what are we doing that we can improve and be better at? And so anyway. I'm on my soapbox. You had a question that you want to talk no, about. No, that was the most perfect, perfect lead into one of the one of the things I wanted to talk about. And it wasn't even something I planned to talk about, but I definitely want to bring it because I actually did walk away from social media entirely a little, I guess it was actually, or was it two years ago? Gosh, I think it was. It was two years ago. That is wild. And I went away for an entire year. And a part of the reason that I did it was because I was so frustrated at the disconnect that I saw from the traditional network marketing strategies that have been proven to work from people like Jim Rohn, you know, or I'm sure like your, your yeah. CEO of Melaleuca. I mean, there are just things like Milan says that we know it works and it works. But then around that time, so it was, yeah, about two years ago was when social selling and that buzzword started to take off. Yeah. And I, and I actually did an entire podcast episode. I'll, I'll have to send it to you. I would love to get your thoughts and maybe do a revisit two years, two years later on, on this podcast. But I talked about the differences between the two, and there's a there's a pretty strong, pretty strong difference with with this whole influencer marketing. And I think honestly, it in my opinion, and I haven't really heard other people say this, and I'm definitely curious to get your insight and experience on this. But I think this social selling, affiliate marketing, attraction marketing has hurt the industry and is a part of the decline because you can't you can't create that Mayberry experience in mass. You can't build relationships with having 100,000 followers or selling $100,000 worth of makeup. And it's really hard selling $10,000 worth of makeup, which is one of the reasons why I'm you know, thrilled with just slow and steady growth with my own sales and getting to that highest commission bracket, which is another reason why I'm not really on social is I don't really want to grow a big following online because I don't want that volume. I want to be able to have that relationship with the people that that do entrust me to be their saint artist. So 
I would love to know your thoughts on that, you know, the kind of social selling versus network marketing, if I'm so bold, and how you think that rise of the influencer has impacted the industry. Yeah, it's really interesting right now. We're in this, there's this time and place. I saw McKenzie published an article recently that said 54% of Gen Z and millennials want to be influencers. And then I saw also some research that showed that multi-level marketing only had one other type of selling that had as negative a, a perspective, and that was affiliate marketing, which was interesting. And yet, when you looked at direct selling and network marketing, which we think is the same thing, those are all three things, those had a very high acceptance rate and as, as, as acceptable as anything else that's out there. Um, so it's interesting, what you call things is interesting. It's interesting people are aspiring for that, but there's something about that that is also kind of grading on people right now. You know, I at, we had to a tremendous success at Beachbody when Facebook began to grow. And the algorithms changed um, for Beachbody. And some of the top sellers at Beachbody struggled when those algorithms changed. But those who are following our core concept of using social media as a tool for connectedness and to, they were they had coach they were coaching teams helping the individuals lose weight having holding together each other accountable they continued to have success had no problem when you think of social selling when you think of affiliate marketing when you think of the facebook marketing as it was with um, jamboree nails and unique and beachbody in the day and a little bit in rodana fields the algorithms of those companies changed the industry dramatically. And I think it's important to understand that even those companies that are having success right now with affiliate marketing, if I'm if I own TikTok, if I own Instagram, if I own Facebook, the only thing I care about is monetizing the platform for me, the owner of the platform. And I'm okay allowing other individuals to monetize my platform as long as it's driving eyeballs. But when the day comes that I can make a tweak to the algorithm and make sure that I get that revenue and that influencer doesn't get that revenue, I'm gonna do it. And so I think it's really in instructive for us to understand what happened with Facebook, what happened with TikTok, and that is that the owner of the platform is going to change the, the um, eventually change the platform so that they're the big winners. Now, will that completely ru ruin affiliate marketing as we know it today or influencer marketing as we know it today? I don't know. I doubt it. There's something that we learn about that Amazon has learned and others have learned is when you create a platform that allows other people to make money, it increases the number of eyeballs and, and you've got more of, uh, of a business there. So they're not going to destroy it altogether. It's, it worries me to be beholden to anything that I can't control in a, in a significant way, right? Um, so to me, using Instagram, using these tools to do some things you're doing here to educate, um, to kind of inform, to build relationship, to strengthen relationships, those are the kinds of innovations we need to think about. Using AI to help us be smarter about following up with our customers, about knowing kind of They've used these products. They probably would like these products. There's things that AI can help us mass customize and, and, 
and personalize in ways that would take us a lot of time and, and it can reduce, reduce our energies. Um, but I'm, I get, I'm still very much into this. The industry is industry. I think has lots of legs. These short term strategies, I think have failed us. And I think it's hard for many executives in the industry and many leaders in the industry to see how it's hurt. And we all want to be, there is social pressure for all of us to be on the leading edge of technology. So if you're a CEO and executive of a direct selling company, you kind of feel like somehow I have to innovate. I have to show that I'm using these tools wisely and smartly, that I'm on the edge of these things. So that that kind of dynamics, I think, is hurting us in ways that we'll figure out and we'll get through. I, I don't think the, I think the industry is in for continued decline as for as long as we keep chasing these non-relationship-based selling tools. Uh, but it, when we finally realize how to use these tools to strengthen relationships in the selling uh, process, I think you're going to see growth again in, in remarkable ways. I think that makes so much sense. And it's actually kind of a perfect segue for next month. I'm going to be talking about the I innovations. And, just, yeah. and I think that at its core, it sounds like social media. And then, of course, AI that's coming right now on the, on the heels of it. It's such a buzzword. All they are is innovations for ways to do the business principles that have worked for forever. And I think people try to make that the business, but it's, it's you know, social media, well, that is a business and that's called affiliate marketing, which is a whole other, like you said, business, yeah. but that's a whole other business model. But in network marketing, you have to look at social media as an innovation that's always going to be changing and adapting and how you can, like you said, apply it to the back to basics principles that, that have been proven effective with network marketing. And I, and I think I know that there's some good there, which is one of the reasons why I stepped back into social. I didn't want to exemplify what it looked like to ignore. I had my little four eyes back in the day. But, well, I still, still believe in those. Ignore influencer investment strategy. And now I'm integrate. That's what I am. The integrate strategy of just being a human online, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Integrating, you know, whatever it is, your new book or, you know, things like that. And so, you know, the ignore strategy, in my opinion, is just as hard, if not harder than the influencer strategy. But I think only about 1% of people can really achieve either of those and do what it takes. So then, of course, what I practice and what you what you talk about, it's for the other 98% of us, that, you know, that want to know how to how to leverage it. So I'm excited to kind of kind of talk more about that. But I want to go back to something that you mentioned when you talked about the epidemic of loneliness it reminded me of a sermon in our church where they talked about that exact same study. And it talked about the fact that that's tied to society's, the newfound self-focus that so much mm. of, um, and, and I'm a big fan of personal development, don't get me wrong. And all yeah. the business and wisdom out there is found found in the word. But I think, especially when it comes to the social selling influencer marketing or, or even just focusing on being the highest seller out there or the highest enroller out there, it is, it's so self-focused because you're really the only one that's benefiting. When I see so many of their teams lose hope in their business because they feel like they could never do what their mentor did. And so it almost discourages them to do the actions, to have the small wins that can bring in hundreds of dollars for their family, if not thousands of dollars for their family. Yeah. It's a big deal that this business model can do. So have you seen that, that the, the the focus on self and how that has influenced this this business model versus 
focusing on others or the relationship side, which brings the fulfillment, which makes this business so amazing that when you can focus on that. Yeah, that's so wise. Uh, you know, I think that we always, there's this, there's this need always to kind of say, I want to take care of myself. I remember as a, as a uh, freshman in college, I lived off campus. My roommate was my age, but decided to go to another university and left me with four other roommates who were all older than me and all kind of buddies. And I just remember being so lonely my freshman year and feeling so sorry for myself. I remember my second half of the year in January, I moved on campus and thought that would solve all my problems. But when I got on, my, on campus, they they had their own friendships, they had their own relationships. I had a Walkman at the time. And I remember just listening to music and walking to my classes. And finally I had a, a, a RA who came in and said, you know what you need? And I said, well, yeah, I was thinking, I know I need a friend. I need all this stuff. He goes, you need to go serve. Mm. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, so he convinced me to go down on Thursday mornings to the pool to a program called Adaptive Aquatics. I went down and I was a little bit late and and they they all of the, the students, they line up on one side and on the other side, they had all these special Olympic athletes. And as soon as they would say go, all the students would go over there and they'd get the most able athletes. And I was the last one because I was just trying to figure out my way. And when I got there, the only athlete that was there was a girl by the name of Brandy. And Brandy was prostrate in a chair and drooling out of her mouth and couldn't, it was non-communicative. And I was terrified. Like I had never in my life had a relationship with someone that was dis as disabled as Brandy. And I remember getting in the pool and it was cold because it was a, like, like this is the com competition pool. And they kept it at a cool temperature and they handed Brandy to me and Brandy just started screaming and yelling and crying. And I remember, you know, at that age, you're like trying to impress all the girls. And I was like, not, no one was impressed with me because my athlete was just crying. And, and I remember just bouncing her and doing whatever I thought I could do. And by the time that, we, that day was over, I was like, okay, next time I'm going to get there earlier. And that's how selfish I was. I'm, I'm going to get there earlier because I'm going to find someone who's more fun to play with. And the next time I got there, the the teacher was so smart. She came up and she goes, oh, I'm so glad you're here. Brandy couldn't, can't wait to see you. So I went back and ended up with Brandy again. And she was a little bit better. And I remember a week or two later, I missed. And I came and the teacher said, oh, we missed you. Brandy didn't have anybody to play with. And then I felt so terrible. By the end of that semester, Brandy was splashing and smiling. And what I thought was non-communicative was not true. She she was expressive and 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 Brandy changed me in a remarkable way. I thought I was there to go serve her. Turns out that she was there to serve me. And you know, I everything good in my life came out of my relationship with Brandy. I don't know where she is, but I went on a mission at that, that age, came back two years later. And, and the first thing I did is get back involved in Special Olympics. And I ended up being asked to run the Special Olympic Games and we're 2,500 athletes and, and volunteers. It's a big event. And from then I'd met all these people and I was asked to run for student body president, which I never thought I would. I mean, this is the lonely kid 
with my headsets, walking around with no, not a friend in the world my freshman year. When I was when I was elected student president of school, I was in the office of the outgoing president. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to go to Harvard Business School. And I'm like, you're going to what? You're going to go to Harvard Business School? I never in my life even thought of Harvard. Like, I thought that was what the royalty went to. And and he said, yeah, they they like student leaders. And f- in fact, everyone who's applied who's been a student leader has been accepted. And I'm like, I was dating my wife, Erin, at the time I remember going back and saying, Erin, do you know what? Like, there's an opportunity for us to go to Harvard. Most people would have run for student body president to go to Harvard, right? Like, I had no clue. I just had such an amazing experience with Brandy that I wanted other people to have that experience. And all of that led me on a path that was completely unexpected and and literally changed my life in the most remarkable way. And and so if you look at the way the Lord works, he never, never, it never works like we think they're going to work, right? When Elisha came to mom and mom was there to take care of her and her son, and he says, you know, feed me. And she's like, I, I have one morsel. I'm just ready. I'm preparing for my son and I to die of starvation. And Elisha said, no, no, before you take care of your family, just take care of me. And I promise you that your meal will never be, be consumed before the rain. Right? And then, and then her, when her son dies, the fact that she had Elisha there in her house, to heal him and to bring him back was the greatest blessing. And the let's have the Lord bless us. We we always think that it's going to be the way to take care of ourselves and our needs is to focus on our needs. And even when it's like we have our last more morsel, no, the the real the real answers in life is to turn outward, be able to help us. And it works in business. In, in remarkable ways and it works in life in remarkable ways. And so I, I love what you said and I love the insight you, you've developed that we used to talk about this and you developed it because of your personal experiences. And I think that it, leaders who reconnect to, I'm going to help as many people as I can get what they want. And by doing that inadvertently, I'll get what I want. And by the way, you really have to connect to them because if you're doing it just to get what you want, they know it and it doesn't work the same. Been there, done that too. <laughs> right. Unfortunately. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I can't even believe, first of all, the the timing of how the Lord works. It's it's really, it's crazy to me. I actually have a early morning Bible study here on every other Monday and we were literally just talking about that, that the timing of, of his word, especially, and I, we actually just read, we're doing the Bible recap where it's reading through the Bible in a year. And we just got through those passages with Elisha, which is just like, the timing is crazy. Also, just this morning, I was talking with a dear friend who is fostering and she just got her first placement. And she, she said to me, the love that she feels for that child already is just, is so amazing. And, and I mean, it just, it, it, just moved me because it, I think it's Psalm, I think it's Psalm 37 something, but it's the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. And so many people, you know, twist that and think like, oh, he's, you know, he's going to give me, it's like a magic genie. And it's like, no, give you 
the desire to go hang out with Brandy, <laughs> you, you know, the desire to, you know, to, to take on the task of running for class president. And then, you know, in turn of being obedient in that and seeking him, number one, but also serving his people, the least of these, and, you know, especially widows and orphans, as he talks about in James, you know, it's, he he will also give you the desires of your heart you never even knew you had, like something like Harvard. And, and so it's just, on the one hand, it's so simple. On the other hand, it's so hard. And I know everybody listening to this has has desires that some of them are from the Lord. Some of them might be from their, you know, someone telling them they need to do this. But so much of what you shared today is just so deep and <laughs> so, 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 so good. And I can't, I cannot thank you enough. I know I was about to lose it there for a second. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that story. And thank you just for your message. Thanks, Heather. This has been fun. I'm so excited about what you're doing with your team. I, I just, you're an inspirational leader and you're, you're modeling what you're asking others to do, which is really awesome. So keep it up. Thanks for letting me join you today. I sure will. And y'all make sure if you haven't already, you got to buy, it's not on Audible yet, but I know it's kind of blurry, but go definitely check out Renewal for Field Leaders. And again, that uh, I would read this first and then do system scale, would you say? Because yeah. System yes. scale is a little bit more, a little bit more targeted towards the corporate level, right? But certainly applicable for h- higher level leaders, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And anything else? Where can they find you or follow along on on your journey? I don't know. I <laughs> I, 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 I am the worst at social media. I follow, start a little bit, and then I stop a little bit, and um, I'm out there somewhere. And and but <laughs> just keep following Heather. That's probably the best. <laughs> Well, I can't. Don't worry. I'll keep them, keep them posted for sure. And I know you do. You do have a website, and you know, yeah. But I, I cannot thank you enough. And I just, I'm grateful for Jody Watkins, who is the one that recommended this book. I'll have to make sure to send her this podcast because she'll say, "Wow, that was really full circle." But thank again, you, Jody. Jody, right? Yeah, Jody with Rodan and Fields. She's a top leader. Thank you, Jody. Oh, so, yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for everything you've done for me and for our team and for, for everybody listening. You are such a blessing. And I'm grateful for this conversation. I'm so grateful for your time with me today. Feel free to check out heatherkburge.com for all the scoop on all the things. Also, I've got a huge favor. If you found any value from today's episode, would you mind leaving me a quick review? Or even better, share with a friend by clicking those three little dots at the bottom of your screen. Sending you big hugs.